Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikpour. And we are discussing Omega the Unknown, number three, Burn While You Learn, written by Steve Gerber and Mary Screenis, illustrated by Jim Mooney, published uh, July 1976. Amir, this is an issue that's stuck in my mind for years. I guess that's mm. a kind of a pattern here with a lot of these stories. Mm-hmm. The the whole storyline in this comic is so intriguing. I'm curious what you thought of it. Yeah, I have some notes I put together here. Uh, I page by page note notes, but I think what was interesting about this, I saw, well, I mean, I don't know where to start. We can go page by page because I have notes all over the place. Yeah, let's I don't start. Have a, I don't have a thorough, like a one big idea for the whole issue. But I thought it was interesting, the whole issue culminating in a telethon, kind of like the Jerry Lewis telethon of the old days. The bit at the very end with the boy who's the the telethon guest of honor or whatever the term is, I think it's such so interesting. So I'm looking forward to talking about that with you. Yeah, I have some notes about that character, actually, specifically. This story really is literally a journey. So we start with James Michael and Ruth back at the clinic. Yeah, and I think the first thing about the newspaper, they're looking at it, and James uh, kind of alludes to the fact that the person at Daily Bugle is sexist. Mm-hmm. You know, was Amber pleased? Oh, so like she was like, she indicated to me that the publisher, Mr. Jameson, harbored doubts about the competence of a woman photographer. Right. Right. And now this totally fits what we think of a J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, I didn't know he was sexist. I just thought he was a jerk, but I guess. <laughs> For 1976, I guess he'd be called a chauvinist. Mm. Uh, I like how James Michael feels, seems so innocent as he says this. And his eyes are kind of wide. The bottom half of his face is in shadow. And like, he really feels like he's kind of almost emerging from the shadows of his own ignorance about the world. You know, I... Uh... That, the interesting thing about that statement that I said about the sexism, I almost feel like what I got out of this issue is a lot of commentary about editorials and comic book folks. Mm-hmm. And it might have not been in there, but I feel like that might be something that's been sprinkled in there, in there based on some of the notes that you've mentioned in the past, how like Gerber has like, you know, solid, strong female characters. I'm sure, I don't know, I'm not sure, but my assumption is maybe Mary Scrennis uh, would have something to say to do about that stuff. But it was, there was that comment. And then there's another comment later on about the bullies uh, where somebody says like, there's a writer who's one of the nerds that gets picked on by the bullies. Nedley, yeah. Um, is it John or is it Nedley? John Nedley. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. And then somebody was like, oh, but... Oh, no, James Michael was like, well, that bully doesn't have a motivation to pick on me. And then I think somebody says like, well, um, he doesn't need a motivation. There, there needs to be no motive, kind of like a Marvel editorial, no motivation for the characters, you know? So I don't know. I don't know if that's really just my imagination or there was a reason for like putting those things in there. No, I think that it, there's a good reason for putting those things in there. I think there's a couple things going on there. First of all, I think Gerber's just uh, 
showing the innocence of James, Gerber and Screenus are showing the innocence of James Michael. He just does, he's so ignorant of the ways of the world, never been to a big city high school, he's homeschooled. Um, he just doesn't know how to deal with something that's outside of his experience. And then secondly, it fits Gerber's larger idea of the world being kind of random, out of your control, that things just happen to you that you can't manipulate in any way. And so it's kind of this uh, ability, uh, attempt to navigate the world, but continually being kind of battered around by things that are out of your control. Mm -hmm. And in a way it par it's parallel to the experience of the hero when he's being held captive by Electro because you know, he's, he's kind of impotent to know even what the motivations are. Mm -hmm. That's true, yeah. And we're, we also are not, we also don't know what the motivations are. Right. Uh, the other thing that brought up, there was a, so in the trade paperback, um, I don't know if this is the way in the issue, I had a comment on page, uh, I believe it's three and four. Mm -hmm. I feel like that there's a, before going on to that, the other feeling that this hospital brings me is, I don't know if you're familiar with that TV show Legion, which was about Legion from you know, the X-Men, mm -hmm. but basically it was a hospital that kept people with like certain talents or mutants or whatever in the hospital. And I feel like this is the same type of thing. It's almost like uh, they're studying all these like specialized people because uh, that's what the doctor says the doctor says you know like, you're not the only one we study you know? or like somebody says like you better get to the doctor he's got you know he needs to go on to the next patient you know that kind of a thing so it's interesting that like it, it brought up that creepy feeling of studying mm -hmm. and then when you go to page three and four i saw a little bit of a parallel the way james michael is being studied by the doctor and the hero is being studied by electro yeah, and neither one has any agency to change what's being studied about them. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and James Michael's face throughout all of page three is just cryptic. We can't really read his thoughts in any way. Yeah, but the doctor is also kind of in a friendly creep, is also creepy a little bit too. I, I thought he's creepy since the first time we met him. Yeah, yeah. There's just something very kind of strange about him. He's all like... If Ruth doesn't help, you can always come to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't think, no, no, I think he says like, I don't think Ruth can give you everything that you need or something like that. Whenever you feel the pressure building up, whenever there's something Ruth can't help you understand. Oh yeah, okay. Come to me. Maybe I just read a little bit too much into it. <laughs> and then the next page, what's interesting, obviously I think there's a parallel, there's a mirror of these pages. Um, I would have been cool if the art was parallel, kind of like the uh, symmetry of the Watchmen, but it's not, so it's okay. What's interesting to me is on page four, panel one, I don't know if you have the issue, but in the trade paperback, I see like a little, like that, that panel is like weird, like the way it's drawn, the coloring, and there's like, I don't know, is that how it is to you? It is, and it's got this, not sure what the what the effect is, but it's zipatone or something that's yeah. over over our hero's face, with kind of like almost snow clouds over it. It's a really interesting way to show a character waking up from being in a daze. Yeah, and what's funny about it that I wrote about is like Electra was talking even before the hero woke up. 
you can see like a dot, dot, dot. Uh, what is that dot, dot, dot? To lift that gaze or gauze curtain from an in front of your eyes, awaking slow. Like, oh, that's the continuation from Dr. Barrow's comments. Oh, on the previous page. That is kind of the Watchman connection where the, the line continues onward. Ah, okay. I think it's, it's just three. what you need to help lift that gauze curtain from in front of your eyes. That's a really kind of aggressive thing for Dr. Barrow to say to James Michael, though. Mm. Also, I don't understand why Dr. Barrow is accusing, I think that's the right word, James Michael of being having psychosomatic problems when he literally saw the boy collapse. Mm. I'm not sure what that even means. Uh, I actually didn't really hone in on it. I didn't even think of it. Yeah, I didn't really think of it. I thought it was, to me, it seemed normal just because he's been through stress. His parents have gotten into an accident. and Yeah, and that might be true, too. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty Occam's razor, razor sort of uh, answer to that question. Yeah. But yeah, he's creepy. Electra was such a monologuist. Don't you get the impression he's just talking constantly? He really gives the feeling that this character is just sociopathic. Yeah, like Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> They're appropriate enemies for each other. I mean, the way Mooney draws Electra on page four, panel three, for example, half in the shadows, he just feels like he's like literally half in the shadows in his own mind. I like it. Yeah, I like that drawing. It's pretty cool. I, I again, I think Mooney's so underrated. Mm. He used to be an inker too, right? Like he would ink other people's artwork. He, he actually inked John Romina quite a bit on Spider Man. Mm. I think that's where may have John Romina original the the senior. Yeah, in the sixties. I think that's where 70s. I saw. I was recently re Yeah. Okay. They're a great combination. I could see that, yeah. Did you have more on these No, I don't pages? have anything else on these pages. I'll just note that Moody draws the entire scene where Electro is looming over the hero. Most of the time his face is larger, but he's usually in the foreground also. Mm -hmm. Even the scene where he's in, where Electro is in the background, he's got the lighting effect next to him when he's holding onto the generators. So in every moment there, we get the feeling that our hero is actually in danger, which I think is just really interestingly done. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we'll get to this a little further on, but I thought it was interesting how the metal creature seems to have an inner life. He gets revived and he negotiates with Electro. Mm -hmm. or it how does he negotiate? That's not even explained. Yeah. That's a yeah, there's, a, there's a lot that's glossed over here, yeah. yeah. That's comic books for you. I like the um, page four panel, two, three, five, six. I like the drawing there. That's the panel where the robot's on the train tracks? Yeah, yeah, he gets thrown on the train tracks. It just seems like a, I like the, the inking on there. Electro's body is also kind of, burly and tough like he it looks legitimately like he looks like a wrestler or something yeah is this in line with his characterization during spider-man i'm not familiar with Spider i'm not as familiar either i can't remember his costume's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous but he looks 
hear like this kind of weird avenging force. Mm -hmm. I wonder why the electricity it was. Is it because they allowed him to use this character because no one cared about him, or there's something about electricity? I don't know. I wonder if there's some idea that he would help the sales on the book because he's a Spider-Man villain. Oh, uh, okay. I don't know. That's a total guess. So then we flip the page and we are in a completely different world. James is at his middle school. James Michael, excuse me. Mm. He corrects Diane a little further on there. What did you think? This is the first time you read this comic and you don't know what's going to happen. What did you think of James Michael's experience at his middle school? I can't believe his teacher smacked him in the face. Uh -huh. I don't think that would be okay even back in the 70s. Yeah, James Michael just doesn't know it's the it, that that wouldn't have been allowed. Yeah. Um, what kind of teacher I, would do that too, right? What unruly teacher. I yeah. mean, unruly class. Unru completely unruly class. The funny thing is like you see all these things getting thrown at the teacher, but it's really one bully who's doing it, maybe two. <laughs> Yeah, so we see anyway, and it's the same bullies that come at the end of uh, at the end of the school day. Mm -hmm. But no one's in, in school to learn; they're just there because they have to be. Mm, interesting, yeah. Except for maybe Nedley. I thought this was like a homeroom type of thing, and you don't see the rest of the classes. I don't know; it's a little bit. Honestly, this is like maybe not well thought out, but like lunch after. Oh, actually, he's late to the class, so he didn't make it to his other classes. Yeah, this is the only class. He's just late. Okay, yeah, he's it's in the middle of the day, but he does become friends with Diane right away. Diane yeah. is a, another kind of outsider. She's a, mm -hmm. she's clearly drawn as a tomboy, and then they become. He sits down with John Nedley, so James Michael's already an outsider in his own little mm -hmm. middle school world. The other thing that I thought about these interactions with the kids, I thought that maybe, you know, the bully, there's a line where he's like, when he sees all like, what's this, you know, James Michael's like, what's this concoction? And then mm -hmm. the bully's like, what are you, some wise guy putting down our good hot <laughs> lunch program food? And it, I was like, is that Jim Shooter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's just like classic bullying. Oh, okay. Because why does he care about the food at the high school? I don't think Nick cares about the food. He's just like being an asshole. Oh, okay. You know, come on, kid. Come on, asshole. Come on, jerk. What do you, what do you care about the mm -hmm. food? He's, you're just chicken. You're just looking mm -hmm. to pick on them any, in any way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this whole bit in the middle school is, uh, is an interesting foreshadowing. Like, there's, Did you feel like there's a sense of danger here? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that maybe some power would manifest itself, especially when they got in the fight at the end of the issue or later on in the issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I, I didn't really feel anything particular. I thought it was just a standard high school or school bully type thing. Okay. Then we flip back to... But it's the same way that the hero is getting bullied by Electro, right? That's exactly what I was going to lead to. It, it totally parallels it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. urban screens are just so good that like flipping back and forth between the two storylines mm -hmm. and really drawing this connection and again electro is monologuing like crazy look at all those words on that next page 
And somewhere in there, he was able to negotiate with the metal creature. We struck a bargain, your lead-headed friend and I. He was eager to deal like, how would they even communicate? Yeah, I know, it's weird. It's all kind of absurd. Mm -hmm. Little weird notes, so our hero escapes the bounds. And there's this line that struck me when I was just rereading it, uh, you know, for the nth time. Echoes of his voice screeched like chalk scraping up a blackboard. So that's a normal analogy that you hear all the time, metaphor you hear all the time. But our hero would have never experienced the sound of chalk on a blackboard. That's something that would have been completely outside his experience because he came from outer space. So, but James Michael would have heard it probably for the first time that day. So mm. I wonder if there's a very small, now this may just be an error by Gerber and Screenas, but I wonder if there's a very small connection being alluded to there. And maybe, you know, at the very end, there's a line about James Michael hearing all the voices in his head. I wonder if our hero is kind of co-inhabiting his head in some way. If he's some, one of the voices and the voices go that both ways. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't get that, but I was actually going to ask you about the voices later on in the issue because it's like, what? actually, I, I asked it on page 17. It's like, there's always alluding these voices. My question to you was like, are we hearing those voices too? Because it doesn't sound like it. No, we're kept it's kept completely uh, out of our experience. Mm -hmm. We don't, and that's one of the interesting things about this comic, I think, is that in some ways it's a subjective book. Like we are kind of put inside James Michael's head in some ways, mm -hmm. but we're only allowed to go in his head in a kind of very limited way. And I think there's a, this interesting paradox where he's intimate to us, but he's still a stranger to us. And those voices are something we never were able to hear. Mm -hmm at least to this point. Yeah. It's hard Maybe. to reconcile that in some way. Yeah. It's hard to think, I, I don't really, because uh, the, the Blackboard one, it could just be an analogy description, right? It's like, well, he just, the voice came out of him like a chalkboard to us to inform us what it sounds like, but maybe not to the hero. But I, that's interesting that you bring it up though. It's like, showing their um you know their mind is it mind melt or, or mind meld yeah i don't know what to what how to even think about it mm -hmm. and then we see the bullies the scene we were talking about uh you know looking to beat up james michael and only amber is able to save him but only after james mm. gets slapped and has that very strange reaction He's not mad. He's like shocked. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. There's a part where he's uh, like, how am I supposed to deal with that character, that situation? Like, as if like it's a superhero character, like how am I supposed to deal with a villain? And then she's like, I don't know. Have you considered hitting back? Mm -hmm. And then you go to the next page and like, you know, that's what the hero is supposed to do. He's got to hit back. Right. Right. He's forced to hit back. Mm -hmm. And in, it, the seed where he's saying, how am I supposed to deal with him? Have you considered hitting back? That's when they're wandering through their decrepit neighborhood. Oh, yeah. 
So like, how am I supposed to deal with that character or that situation? And yet, you know, as a microcosm of the larger world they're living in, there's nothing you can do. Hell's mm -hmm. Kitchen at that point is, you know, appropriately named. Mm -hmm. This is yeah. another place where we see how uh, cool Amber is, for want of a better term. How she's like a streetwise woman who was at least a, a force to try and change things. Mm -hmm. Realistic, but also, um, you know, actually able to, to make James Michael's world change, which is deliberately, I think, in opposition to Ruth, who's struggling to understand James Michael in the first and the second page of this issue. Mm -hmm. So you can feel like this tension between the two roommates too and the way they deal with the kid. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like Ruth is more like parent-like because she is the nurse. And then um, you would think like Amber is like the, the freewheeling, the, you know, hey, now go and experience life. Whereas mm -hmm. then Ruth is like, hey, are you okay? Like, I don't think you're talking to me or something like that, you know, early on in the issue. So Ruth is more like a caring parent and Amber is more like a, you know, like that, you know, that ideal girl that you want to hang out with. <laughs> cool older sister. Cool. Well, yeah. For James Michael, right? Yeah. And then comes the, I think, really moving conclusion to this issue. Last four or five pages are just interesting, the way that mm -hmm. it all plays out. So there's a the kid um, at the telethon. I'm assuming he's one of the kids that the telethon is raising money, right? It's not all going to him. But right. his name is Freddie. Isn't Freddie Freeman in DC one of the characters with um, Captain Marvel where he's also like has crutches and has... You're you know, right. I didn't think of that, Amir. That That's great. I didn't... I, I Yeah. And so, like, my thinking was on page, the most, the comment that I have is really on page 16. Mm -hmm. At first, I was like, what did Freddie do? So, they, there was a point where uh, Freddie is there, and the hero and Electro somehow, like, experience what Freddie is feeling, mm -hmm. like, in a weird way. And what I got out of it was, like, sometimes in, for Freddie to be a hero is just to get out of bed in the morning, because he can't walk, and it's like, a regular person is just that's that's what true heroism is and then you know he became a hero by hitting uh, electro in the shin mm -hmm. which supposedly shattered his shin how could a kid shatter like elect electro fights with spider-man superhuman <laughs> right you know? right but you know maybe he hit him hard enough to to shatter it so well the thinking is like is it i mean i think there's definite connection between the hero and uh, James Michael. In fact, on page um, 15, panel three, he looks like James Michael there. He does. Um, but maybe like the power gets transferred to regular people through the hero. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I was gonna talk about the boy and him kind of finding his own kind of agency. I know I use that word all the time. The one line that's 
issue that struck more than, me more than anything else is for a year now, he served as a professional object of pity, watching flash bulbs explode in his face, listening to speeches about his courage from people who could never hope to understand, and in fact, hope desperately to never have to. Mm-hmm. He's decided he's had enough exploit pity and objective by him. Will they? Oh, yeah. So, like, here's this kid who's had this disease, and he's being exploited for his disease. He's not He's not able to control his life. For the last year, he's been seen as a professional object of pity. It's as if you're living your entire life as being a victim, essentially. And finally, in this moment, when he has this chance to change something that's way above his head, way more, way out of his control, in that moment is when he takes action mm-hmm. because he's the least who becomes the greatest in that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly, the family grab, you know, hugs him. But then the MC of the telethon immediately is like, look at the power and majesty of this kid. Look how great he is for, for uh, committing this fight. Give more money to our telethon. Mm-hmm. And this feeling of this kid just being trapped in this role he's stuck in. Mm-hmm. It's this really kind of incongruous moment of poignance in the middle of everything else. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can set it against James Michael in a way, because James Michael has been not used, but he doesn't really have the ability to control the world that he's living in. And he's confused by what he's living in. He's not exploited, but he is, he lacks control. And here's this kid who seems to be, who is physically handicapped, but who's able to take some measure of control and maybe become the person he aspires to be. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah and maybe that's a little bit of foreshadowing of james michael's eventual possible transition mm-hmm. any other thoughts on the issue no that was it i think that was my final note about freddie freeman oh i think the other question was like are we hearing the voices which i already asked before but that was that was it yeah that's another great line there that last caption from yeah, does not respond. He cannot select which from among the thousand voices in his head to allow to speak. Something is different now in his universe. Mm-hmm. Interesting word to use there too, in his universe. Yeah. So next week we get, I say this every issue so far, next issue we get another one of my favorites. Oh, cool. El Gato. El Gato. Cats and no dogs. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Moody's Inc. by Pablo Marcos. Uh, yeah, it's it's a mo- issue that I've always found is deeply moving. Mm. Thanks, Amir. We'll talk Thank about you. it next week. Yeah. Oh, thank you.